You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hi, welcome to the Beckett Cook Show. I'm Beckett Cook. And on this show, as you know, we take a look at the lies of the culture, the lies of the world, and try to find the truth behind those lies, the biblical truth, the objective reality behind those lies. So today I want to look at an article I read. It came out, I think, in March. And the headline of the article was, Miley Cyrus comes back to faith. And I was super excited about that because just, you know, from her public persona, I, you know, over the last several years, it just, things didn't look very good. (laughs) Things look pretty dire. And so when I saw that headline, I was like, whoa, what's going on? And I, and I read the, and then I immediately read the article. And after I finished reading it, I was completely deflated. And we'll get into the article and what she is saying in the article, what the subtext of what she's saying is, and what the the truth underneath all of this is. And so the article was based on an interview she did for her. She has like a a podcast or a social media show that she started in March. I think during the pandemic, she started the show called Bright Minded. And I think her first guest or one of her first guests was Haley Bieber. And they had this kind of conversation and the whole conversation was supposed to be about makeup and like giving each other makeup tips and how they did each other's makeup. But they got onto the subject of God and faith and their their childhood and how they grew up as Christians and how they see their faith now as adults. And and Miley Cyrus, in this interview, she said, you know, she was brought up in this church in Tennessee in the 90s, and apparently the church was, you know, a conservative Christian evangelical church with orthodox views on sexuality, meaning they believe that homosexual behavior was a sin. And, but she says that it was less accepting, it was a less accepting time with all that, meaning with the LGBTQ issue. So that had a huge impact on her. She said, because she had, she says she has, she had gay friends in school. And that's the reason she left that church is because of this kind of difficulty of reconciling the idea that she had gay friends with the church's teaching that homosexual behavior is, is wrong and is a sin. So she left her church. And the interesting thing about this is, so she's basically saying the church and the, the 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 scripture when it comes to this issue is wrong was what she's basically saying and and the the thing about that is we as believers we as Christians don't stand over the bible and judge it and critique it we let the bible critique us and we let the bible convict us we let the word of god convict us and so We'll get into a little bit later why uh, that her view is erroneous. But so she she also says that she had a hard time finding her own sexuality as well during that time in the 90s. 
Um, I think later in 2015, she described herself as pansexual. I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not really sure what that means, but she identified as pansexual. And, and also in this interview with Haley Bieber, she says, I'm allowed to redesign my relationship with God as an adult and make it how it feels most accepting to me. So again, this is just her deciding who God is. She's basically creating God in her image instead of her being created in the image of God. So she's reversing that and just, she's basically creating an idol. That's not, she's creating a false God. And that's, that's what I see a lot. I see that a lot in culture now, especially with Christians who are caving into culture on, on a myriad of issues. Um, we end up, Christians end up creating God in their own image, in their own, whatever they think is true, instead of what the word of God says. And she talks about, you know, her, her parents and how their faith, you know, she's kind of detached herself from her parents' faith and how, you know, she's found her own faith as an adult. But the word of God doesn't change from generation to generation. <laughs> the word of God is eternal. It's eternal. And, and so it's not like, you know, my parents had this kind of Christian faith, but I'm going to choose a different kind of Christian faith. It's like, no, no, no. The, it's, the word of God is true throughout all of eternity. So um, that, doesn't, that doesn't really comport with the truth. And so in the plumb line is not, so the plumb line, a plumb line was a, a architectural instrument in, in, in the olden days where they would put a, like a weight, a lead weight on a string. And that, that's how they would determine whether the building was vertical, perfectly vertical or not. I guess in Italy, in the tower of Pisa, they didn't use the plumb line. They were out of them or something, but, um, so the plumb line that we as Christians live by to make sure we're living vertically is the word of God. This is the plumb line. And so when you're not using the word of God as your plumb line, you're going to wander off into all kinds of myths, as, a, uh, as one New Testament writer says. And so she also says in this interview, she says, that she found a church that works for me. And again, this is, um, this is kind of goes to this idea of this radical individualism that we live in today. Our culture is so radically individualistic and it started back in the 1960s with the sexual revolution. And now it's kind of at its apex where it's all about me and all about my needs instead of how can I be a servant? to the body of Christ? How can I serve my church? And, and it's, I call this kind of radical individualistic Christianity, amazon.com Christianity, because you just can kind of go on and order whatever you want. And it comes to your door and whatever you don't like, you can just send back for free if you're a prime member. And so that's kind of the, the flaw in, in that argument. And she, she also says, that you know now her her faith is not about her and 10 other people it's about it's about just her and god 
So she's kind of removing community out of the equation. She's removing the body of Christ out of the equation. Of course, your relationship to Christ is primary, but he's given us the body of Christ for, for so many reasons. And we need the body of Christ. The New, the New Testament just assumes that you are going to be involved in a local church and you are going to be a part of, you know, you're going to go and hear the preaching of the word. There's going to be corporate worship and you're going to participate in the sacraments of, of baptism and of Holy Communion. And it just assumes that. And in our culture now, we just kind of reject that. A lot of Christians reject that and just kind of consume Christianity online. Of course, COVID has, has impacted that a lot this year. It's been traumatic because we can't gather, which is, is, is such a bummer. And, um, but one of the things that is so crucial about church is one of my professors in seminary said that we, every believer, every spirit filled believer has two to three spiritual gifts, has two to three grace gifts as they're called. And the new Testament talks about, I think there's 19 spiritual gifts in the new Testament, like the gift of administration, the gift of evangelism, faith, uh, the gift of hospitality, the gift of leadership, the gift of uh, teaching, et cetera, et cetera. It goes on and on. And we as believers have these gifts to help each other in the body of Christ in our local church to build each other up and to serve each other and to edify each one another and to exhort one another. And um, Hebrews chapter three puts it well. Uh, the writer of, of Hebrews says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, Basically, that a Christian, as we as believers, can't go 24 hours without being exhorted. He's, he's saying, exhort one another every day. Because it's so easy to just fall off the track and to go off the rails. Um, I'm mixing metaphors, I think. But as believers on the road to the celestial city, as in like in Pilgrim's Progress, there's so many traps, there's so many snares, there's, you know, Vanity Fair and uh, all these different traps. And we need the body of Christ around us to constantly correct us and encourage us and and speak into our lives and bear our burdens with us and pray for us. And I mean, so many things have happened to me within the context of, of being at my church in Hollywood. A couple of supernatural things have happened to me at my church that were, that wouldn't have happened, I don't think, had I not been with the body of Christ. It was just like someone prayed for me and I was supernaturally healed of depression that I had had since I was, a, I think, a teenager or in college. I'd had mild depression and one of the elders during the service, after after the sermon, he during worship time, he prayed for me. He laid hands on me. He um, anointed me with oil and prayed for me. And while he was praying for me, I felt this 
this tingling sensation lifting up out of my body and out of my head. And it was like, boom. And I immediately started crying. And it was like, whatever that was, that whatever that depression was, whatever it was causing it, that was locked in my kind of spirit just like came out. It was crazy. This happened like 10 years ago. And it was amazing. And it happened in the, within the context of the church body. And I think that there's so many things like that that go on. And that's why there's so many reasons why we need to be gathered together as believers. And in Hebrews 10, again, uh, the author of Hebrews says, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So again, it's, he's saying, let's not, don't neglect meeting together. Because it's it's important, especially because Christ is returning soon, and we need to be together as a church. So going back to Miley Cyrus and why she walked away from the faith, I want to look at, um, there's a book called The Righteous Mind that was written by Jonathan Haidt. Now, Jonathan Haidt is a, he's not a Christian, I don't think, and he's a social psychologist, and he he gave this great illustration in this in his book of an elephant and a rider on top of a small man riding the elephant. And the elephant represents the intuitive, instinctive self. In other words, kind of like your emotional self. And the rider on top is the rational, logical self. And so whenever the elephant leans, the rider on top barely reacts at all and is just taken with that elephant. And so the elephant is... Our culture. It's the power of our culture. And we're sitting on top of this elephant, this giant elephant, and the culture is moving and lurching, and we just lurch with it. Uh, because we're we're riding it. That's you know, that's a great illustration of what happened with Miley Cyrus. Like the culture is so powerful, and obviously, you know, over the years, over the last decades, there's been so much kind of indoctrination and um, in movies and television. And I think of, for example, The Imitation Game, which is a movie that came out, I I forgot when it came out, a few years ago, maybe longer, but it starred Benedict Cumberbatch and it was the story of Alan Turing. And Alan Turing was an English mathematician, a computer scientist, a logician, and he played a crucial role in, in cracking the, the coded messages that enabled the Allies to defeat the Nazis in World War II. And so he also happened to be gay. And he was prosecuted in 1952 for, quote, homosexual acts and gross indecency, as it was called in England. Uh, gross indecency was a criminal offense in England. And it was... It was a super powerful story. I mean, this movie was super powerful because, you know, here's this hero helping win the war. And he's, after the war, he's convicted of homosexual acts. And and so he was given the, uh, the, the choice of going to prison or be being chemically castrated, which meant taking injections, getting injections of estrogen, basically, that would chemically castrate him. And he chose the latter. He chose to be chemically castrated. And 
you know, it, of course it was super traumatic on him and his body be taking all these hormones for months. I don't know how long it went on, but he took these hormones and he ends up and in real life, he ends up committing suicide by taking cyanide and, and see that, you know, that story alone, I mean, there's so many Brokeback Mountain and the movie Milk. Um, there's so many powerful stories, but it, in this story with Alan Turing, he, we see this extraordinary pain he's in. And of course, it's horrible. What, what had happened to him was horrible. And it grieved me to see that. And it's, it's, it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing that, that happened to him. But because that happened, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because that happened does not make, doesn't change this, the biblical sexual ethic. It doesn't change it one iota. And again, we should have nothing but compassion and sympathy and love for Alan Turing and what he went through. Um, he should not have been subjected to that. But again, we, that, that is a huge elephant. That, that movie is a giant elephant that completely sways the culture and sways even Christians. And another example of that is I was on a plane recently, I guess as like six months ago, I was on a plane and I was kind of scrolling through the movies on American Airlines. And there was a movie about Judy Garland called Judy. And it was her, about her kind of latter years and where she uh, performed in London, I think for six months starring Renee Zellweger. And, and there's such a powerful scene in that movie that's so intense. And it, I mean, I have such strong convictions about homosexual behavior. I obviously, like I wrote a book about it. Like I used to, you know, identify as gay and God transformed my life and redeemed me out of that. And so I have very strong convictions about, about this. And I, and I believe to the core of my being that homosexual behavior is a sin because not because it's not my idea. It's, it's because it's God's, it's, it's, it's biblical and it's, and it's truth. And I'll get into, I, in the next few weeks, I'm going to get into the reasons why that is the case. And I'll go through the Bible hermeneutically and exegetically through every kind of passage that mentions homosexuality and really break it down and why it's so clear that it is a sin and, and, and kind of to dispel the myths about the revisionist idea that, oh, it's not a sin anymore because that was back then and they don't understand, Paul didn't understand what we are talking about today in terms of homosexual relationships. But um, so in the Judy Garland movie, there's a scene that is so powerful. I mean, if I didn't have such strong convictions, I can imagine myself falling for it and falling, uh, not falling for it, but falling into the trap of, of believing that homosexual behavior is righteous and good and even holy. So in this scene, these two gay men, these boyfriends, these lovers go to, I mean, I, night after night, they go to the Judy Garland performance in London and they wait outside the, the stage door to, to perhaps meet her. 
and they're huge, huge fans. And they finally, one night she comes out and they meet her and she's kind of so lonely and doesn't have any friends in London that she ends up befriending them and she goes back to their apartment. And this is where the scene takes place. She's in their apartment and one of the boyfriends, one of the guys is playing piano and she starts singing and performing in the apartment. And it's such a like sweet scene. And after, a, you know, a period of time, one of the other guys, the boyfriend just starts kind of sobbing. He's sitting on the couch and he just starts sobbing. And Judy Garland said, you know, it's like, why, what's wrong? What's happening? And he ends up explaining to her that he was in prison for, I think, two years for being gay. And this was back in the 60s, I think, in, the, in England. And again, it's such a powerful scene. It's such a powerful moment that it's a, it's like that giant elephant that just moves. And like, you're like, whoa. And you're just this small person on top of the elephant and you're just kind of moved with it. And, and a lot of time, and, and I can see why it's so difficult to, to still believe in the biblical sexual ethic, to still believe that homosexual behavior is a sin because our culture is, is the, 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 the power of storytelling is so overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And obviously you can see it all over in our culture. And I've seen this happen to a lot of Christian parents. Um, I have a friend whose mother was, you know, conservative Christian in the South, and she believed in in the orthodox view of sexuality. Uh, that she had no reason not to. And then one day her son came out, and he that changed everything. And suddenly she became pro LGBTQ, and she now. I still, I, I'm not sure where she is right now, but I, I think at the time she became gay affirming in terms of uh, Christianity. She was affirming his his homosexuality. And this happens all the time. It happened with Jen Hatmaker. Um, Jen Hatmaker is a well-known Christian author and she's married to a, a pastor in Texas and she's, uh, she's a well, very well-known writer. And she... The same thing happened with her. She, in 2016, she came out as being gay affirming, basically. And she said, you know, she was quoted as saying, I've seen too much pain and rejection at the intersection of the gay community and the church. So again, and of course, like as as Christians, as as, as members of, of the body of Christ, we should be so compassionate and so loving to people who struggle with same-sex attraction, to people who struggle with homosexuality, we should be so loving and caring. And and so I, I yes, of course, uh, if there's been, you know, rejection and pain because of this, because of, you know, someone being gay, I can, I can understand that. But again, she's, she's basing her decision her change of heart on her emotions instead of logically rationally instead of on the the writer the small writer on top of the elephant instead of using her rational mind to critically look at what the bible what the word of god says about this issue she's relying on 
her emotions. And also her daughter ends up, you know, coming out as a lesbian. And of course that had a huge impact. And she says about her daughter, she said, she posted this post, I think recently on, on Instagram, it was a picture of her and her daughter. And she says that she says in the, in the post, she says, this conversation is for those re-examining what they've always been taught in church. And even that line, that sentence itself, it's like, this is not something you're taught in church. This is, yes, of course, it's a teaching in our church and it's been historically taught in the church since the beginning of our, of the church, but it's the word of God more, more uh, fundamentally, it's the word of God that has this teaching on sexuality. And so she said, she goes on in the, in the post to say, this is our girl. We are so proud. We love every inch of her and celebrate her queerness alongside every other wonderful characteristic. So again, it's a, it's, it's a Christian being swept away by this giant elephant, being pulled away from the truth of the word of God. And it's, it's happening so much and it's so heartbreaking. It's just really heartbreaking because it's, it has eternal consequences. It has major, major eternal consequences. And so, uh, and I want to just read Paul's letter to Timothy, just this one verse or two verses, because it, this kind of sums it up. He says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit, to suit what? To suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths, which I mentioned earlier. Um, and the English reformer Thomas Cranmer said, famously said, what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. This is something that's so common in our culture now. And it's like, I feel like a voice crying out in the wilderness. But we've got to get back to the word of God. And we've got to fight the lies of the culture with the truth the word of God. Uh, Miley Cyrus, you know, she, she's a avid supporter of abortion. She teamed up with Planned Parenthood, I think last year for, with, for a photo shoot. And it's her licking this cake. And on the cake, it says abortion is healthcare. And so I, I, I don't know what's going on with Miley Cyrus's faith. I can't, I don't know where she is. Uh, today. I can't really judge that. But I, what I can do is go to John chapter three and, and where, where Jesus talks to Nicodemus. I, I know we just, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, but at the very end of Jesus's conversation with Nicodemus, there's this moment where he tells Nicodemus, um, this is all about being born again and the new birth. And he says, he says, do not marvel that I said you, you must be born again. And this is the crucial passage. He says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So what Jesus is saying is when someone is born again, 
we don't really know the mechanics of all that, how it happens, and, and we know it's a supernatural act from God. But the way we know someone is born again is seeing the effects. So, like, for example, there's a palm tree outside my window, and it's blowing like this right now. So I, I know because of that, the wind is blowing from, where is that? That's uh, west. The wind is blowing from the west. And in the same way with, with, with this issue and with believers, it's, it's like you, you see the effects when someone is born again and someone has the spirit of God in them, you see a changed life. You see a radically changed life, a changed uh, affection. Uh, you see people their lives are changed in ways that even the way they spend their money, the way they spend their time, the way they spend, uh, the way they treat other people, the way, so you see this kind of radical shift in people. And that happened to me 11 years ago when I, God had grace on me and saved me and plucked me out of obscurity and pulled me into his kingdom. Just everything changed in a split second. And, and, I knew immediately that homosexual behavior was a sin. I knew immediately that abortion was a sin. Um, even, even though I was, before I was a Christian, I was firmly pro-choice. But I, as soon as that I got saved, I was like, oh my gosh. Like, I just instantly knew that the image of God, like human beings are create, were created in the image of God. And so I, I, all of, all of my, my entire worldview changed in a second. But just pray for, honestly, like I pray for Miley Cyrus because I don't know where she is with her faith and, and I, she needs a ton of prayer. And, um, I want to close with this proverb, Proverbs three, because I think it's, it's very powerful. And, and this is a, you probably know this proverb. It's, uh, everyone probably has heard it or memorized it. But it's trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on the elephant. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. So it's important to, to not lean on our own understanding because our the culture can influence that. We have to just trust in the Lord. Trust that his word is, is true. Trust that his word is authoritative and inerrant and that it's living and active and it's, and it's eternal. We have to trust that. And we can't just because we have the culture telling us and swaying us and telling us lies, we cannot just buy those lies. We have to lean. We have to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. And he will make our, our path straight. In other words, the elephant, the elephant won't be going off into a bad direction. It will be going on a straight path and we'll be on top of that elephant going on the straight path when we trust in the Lord with all our heart. So hope that helped today. Um, I'm glad you joined and we will have a lot more about this and a lot, again, I'm going to get into kind of the biblical sexual ethic on homosexuality and go really deep into it in a few weeks. So I'll see you next time on the Becca Cook show, share, like, subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe and I'll see you next week. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this episode of The Beckett Cook Show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of The Beckett Cook Show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. Hey there, it's Nicole Eunice from the How to Study the Bible podcast, and I'd love to invite you to join us as we weekly discover a passage of God's Word together. From beginning to end, from principles to practicals, we are here to make sure that God's Word is powerful and relevant to your life. If that sounds like something you're looking for, I would love to invite you to subscribe. You can go to lifeaudio.com and search How to Study the Bible, and we'll see you there.